book of Philippians. We technically ended our series in the book of Philippians last week, but we're really ending it today because I skipped a passage in it. This week we're going to be starting a new series for the month of July. I thought it'd be fun just to take a break from our book series, and we're going to look at for the next five weeks um, a few verses that are often misinterpreted or misquoted or misapplied and look at what the true meaning of these verses really are. Oftentimes we misunderstand scripture when we remove it from its historical and its cultural context. When you begin to read the Bible, when you open your Bible, you begin to read it. In order to truly understand what's going on, there's, there's really three questions that you need to be asking yourself. The first is, who wrote this chapter, or this book? Who wrote it? The second is, who is it written to? And then the third question is, why was it written? One way that we often take scripture out of context is that we forget that it was written to an ancient Near East audience. We have our rose-colored glasses of 21st century Americans, and we go to scripture, and we interpret it through our lives, and oftentimes we interpret it in a way that the original author never intended for it to be taken. Another, co- another common way that we often take scripture out of context is that we just remove it from the context of the paragraph that it's in. You wouldn't go to the library, open up a book off the shelf, go to a random sentence in the middle of that book, and make an assumption about that sentence without first reading the surrounding context, without reading it in the context of that paragraph, in the context of that chapter, in the context of the book as a whole. But so often we do this with scripture. We isolate a verse from the rest of the passage, which removes its context and then enables us to make it say what God never intended for it to say. So the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is one of the most well-known text in the Bible. It's the second most looked up verse after John 3.16, but it's also probably the most misinterpreted verse in the Bible. If you open your Bibles to the Philippians, look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 10 with me. Philippians 4.10, Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again wherein you also were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We have tattoos of it, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And often we take this verse almost as an abracadabra verse to God empowering our plans. Like it's the, the magic word. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But as we look at the text this morning, we're going to see that Paul is not making that kind of a statement, but rather what Paul is 
talking about here in this text is Christian contentment. In the book of Philippians, we have seen one of the great mysteries of the Christian life, and that is joy in the midst of suffering. The Apostle Paul, 16 times throughout Philippians, uses the word joy. In verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. Even in the darkest of situations, in prison, Paul was able to have joy and complete happiness about himself. But another great mystery of the Christian life is that of contentment. Oxford English Dictionary describes contentment as a state of happiness and satisfaction. While I don't think that's a terrible definition, I don't think it gives us the full scope, the full picture of what contentment truly is for the Christian. Listen, there's two things that preachers are good at doing. They're good at making up their own words, and they're good at making up their own definitions. So I'm going to give you what I believe is a better definition of contentment. Contentment is a state of satisfactory peace and freedom from worry, no matter one's circumstances. Say it again. Contentment is a state of satisfactory peace and freedom from worry, no matter one's circumstances. I don't think it's any surprise to anybody in here that we live in a dissatisfied society. A Gallup poll done in 2022 found that 38% of Americans said that they are satisfied. In other words, 62% of Americans wake up every morning dissatisfied with life. We're dissatisfied with our leaders. We're dissatisfied with our government. We're dissatisfied with our jobs, with our wages. We're dissatisfied in our relationships. We're dissatisfied with our homes, dissatisfied with our churches, right? The list can go on and on and on. Yet in our text this morning, we find a man who sits in prison because of corrupt officials, awaiting possible execution over false charges, telling us how to find contentment. This state of satisfactory peace, no matter one's circumstances. So if you will allow me, I'd like to just take a few minutes and walk us through verses 10 through 13. And I want to unfold to us the secret to contentment. Let's pray and then we'll dive right in. Lord, again, thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody that you have brought here, Lord. Lord, I pray that your word would not return void you would give me clarity of speech, that you would give me freedom in the pulpit, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would convict and challenge us this morning, that we would leave here different than we came in. In Christ's name I pray, amen. In verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul is essentially saying to the church at Philippi that I'm extremely grateful for your gift, but I need you to know that I was not relying on your gift. Well, at first this may sound crass and unthankful. What, what Paul is doing is what he often does. He's directing their attention back to the Lord. Paul wants to express his heartfelt thanks, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give the impression that the Lord was not sufficient for his every need. 
even though Paul had been in an extremely difficult situation. We saw last week in verse 14 that Paul said that he was in affliction. He doesn't want the Philippians to think that he had been discontented before the gift arrived. But he does want them to know that their gift was truly appreciated. Again, we looked at that last week at Paul's thankfulness for this gift that they had sent. You know, what's interesting is that Paul doesn't tell the Philippians, I didn't need your gift because other churches had already supplied. Or I didn't need your gift because I already had an abundance. Paul shares with us in later verses that the Philippian church was the only church that did share with him, the only church that did give to him. So Paul's not sitting in his Roman prison eating grapes and cheese and saying, listen, I'm okay. I don't need your guys' help. But Paul says, I didn't necessarily need your gift because I have learned to be content. Can I help you with something this morning? Contentment does not come naturally. It does not come naturally. Contentment is something that we must learn. Have you ever seen a content baby? Maybe for a little, but after a while, they're going to let you know just how dissatisfied they are. Have you ever seen a content child? I don't know, maybe you guys have angel children, but I'll tell you, the one that I have, if I go in the store, he's not okay with just one toy. The Apostle Paul says that he had to learn to be content. Contentment is learned as we walk with God each day through these situations and challenges of living in a sinful and broken world. I can imagine that Paul's journey to contentment was not an easy one. Paul told the church at Corinth, he told them that he had been whipped five times with 39 lashes, that he had been beaten with rods three times, he had been stoned, he had been shipwrecked, he had been snake bitten, and he faced many more toils and perils. But each trial that Paul went through, his faith and trust in the Lord grew. How wild of a thought that is. At the first inconvenience of following Jesus, many of us back down and away. As soon as our faith leads to a disagreement with our family. As soon as the pastor encourages you that going to church on Sunday is more important than going to a ball game, all of a sudden we lose our interest in Christ. Yet Paul says that he allowed his sufferings to teach him that God is in control. And because he is, Paul is able to be at peace and free from worry. Paul says, I can be content. This is why in verse 19, Paul tells the church at Philippi that my God shall supply all your needs. Because Paul had lived it. Paul knew this truth to be true. It was testimonial Paul was content knowing that his God was going to supply each and every one of his needs. You know, while true contentment is learned and lived out practically in the rigors of life, I'd like to lend us another way that contentment can be learned. And that's through an eternal lens. When you truly grasped, grasp that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You'll learn to be content no matter your state. 
For the Christian, we can take joy in knowing that in this life, this is the closest you'll ever be to hell. But for the non-believer, be warned that this world is the closest that you will ever be to heaven. For the Christian, we can be content knowing that the things of this world will soon pass away. Listen, you need not worry about your circumstances on earth, knowing that heaven is your home, that Christ is your Savior, and that glory is yours forever. Imagine you get a call that a family member has passed away, and this family member leaves behind a giant mansion for you with all the luxuries you could ever want. This estate that this family member has left behind is on the other side of the country. So on your drive to this glorious estate, you have to find a hotel to stay at for the night. Would you call the hotel where you're staying for the night and say, hey, I'm going to be there in the next few days, but before I get there, I need you guys to call up Home Depot, and I'd like you to install vinyl plank flooring in my room and put some marble countertops. I want in the shower for there to be dual head showers. Just make sure it's taken care of when I get there. You can just put it on my card. Or would you be at peace no matter where you had to stay for the night, whether it was a Hyatt or you had to sleep in your car, knowing that you had a greater inheritance that was waiting for you in the morning? Listen, don't be so earthly minded that you forget the joy to come, the inheritance that is promised to you, but rather learn contentment, learn to be at peace and free of worry, trusting the Lord, knowing that this life is but a vapor. The thing about contentment is that not only is contentment not natural and contentment is learned, but true contentment transcends our circumstances. In verse 11, Paul says that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstances. But then in verse 12, Paul furthers this idea. Look at verse 12 with me. Paul says, I know both how to be abased or down low, to be needy and poor and the lowest of the lows. And I know how to abound or to be well taken care of and of high esteem. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Listen, Paul has been on all spectrums of life. Paul says, I know what it's like to be abased. Paul says, I know what it's like to live on very little. I know what it's like to fall asleep on a cold, hard prison floor, to have nothing but ramen noodles and hot dogs to eat at night. He says, I've been there. He says, I've, I've been down and out. I've been in the gutter. And in those times, I was content. Let that be a word for us this morning. That if you feel as if life has got the best of you, don't be tempted to worry or lose your peace. Listen, like the Apostle Paul, we can be abased and content. 
rather than grumble and panic about our situations, submit to the sovereign, loving hand of God, trusting that he knows what is best for you and that he always cares for his children. When the Lord is your salvation, down does not mean out. God's ways are not our ways, and God has a purpose and a plan for the hurt and the trials that we go through. But then Paul says, I also know how to abound. If you remember when Paul planted the church at Philippi, one of the first people that he led to the Lord was a rich lady, rich lady named Lydia. So Paul says, listen, I've eaten steak dinners at Lydia's mansion. I've driven the finest chariots. I've stayed at the Four Seasons down in Ephesus. I know what it's like to be pampered and well taken care of. And just as much as in my times of great need, in my times of abundant blessing, I learned how to be content. Oftentimes we think of the need for contentment for those who don't have much. But I believe this challenge to contentment is even more important for those of us who are blessed. And before you close your eyes, I'm talking about each and every one of us that's sitting in here this morning. Those of us that live in the richest nation in the world. Listen, we are blessed beyond measure, but you would never know it because discontentment runs rampant. Contentment is like that elusive oiled pig at the country fair. You know, you see the boys chasing that pig, trying to grab that pig, and as soon as they jump on it and they think that they've got it, it's gone. Once I get that house, once I get that car, once I get that boat, once I find the right spouse, then I'll be content. And either the house never comes or the spouse never comes or the car never comes or they do come. And when they do come, we find that our satisfaction cannot be found in these things. So then we are left in this perpetual chase of more, of next. I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning. I want us to search our, ourselves and our motives and our heart. Our, am, am I personally content with where God has me right now? Are you genuinely at peace and free of worry? Or are you envious and jealous, constantly longing for something more or different? Make no mistake about it, though. Being content does not mean that we are complacent. A content person is satisfied with where they are, but they continue to put forth an effort to move towards a goal. But the complacent person is satisfied with where they are, but they just sit back and they put little to no effort in continuing to move forward. At the back end of verse 12, Paul says in everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. This word instructed that the Apostle Paul uses in the Greek, it translates to learn 
the mystery. Paul says, in other words, that my contentment can remain constant in any and every circumstance because I have learned a secret. I have learned this mystery. I have learned the secret to contentment. Boys have this weird thing, and I'm sure you can ask any guy after service, and I'm sure they would tell you the same thing. When you are younger, when you're an adolescent, you have this thing where you gauge how cool you are by whether or not you can touch the rim on a basketball hoop or you can dunk a ball, right? Listen, I'm telling you, you go into any gym that's full of teenage boys, and within three minutes, you're going to see at least one of them try to jump and touch the rim. When I was a teenager, I was no different. (laughs) I was a little less heavy, had a little more strength. And I had this goal when I was in high school that I was going to dunk, right? Me, 5'9", Dallas, thought he was going to dunk. And so I'd try and try, and every single time I wouldn't be close at all. So one day I had this bright idea. You know, I said, well, I know exactly how I'm going to dunk. Got down on my knee, I said a prayer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I grabbed the ball, ran up to the rim, felt like Michael Jordan, missed the whole entire rim. Because that's not what Philippians 4.13 means. Out of context, Philippians 4.13 is used as a blank check promise for whatever we desire. I can dunk that ball. I can win that championship. I can get an A on my test. I can get a promotion at work through Christ who strengthens me. But in context, as we have just seen in the verses that come before, this is truly a verse about contentment. It's not about your dreams coming true or your goals being met. Rather, it's about being joyful, satisfied, and steadfast, even when life is hard and your circumstances seem impossible. In other words, I have learned to trust God. And whatever season of life he has put me in, whether it's in prison or palace, whether it's in the slums or the suburbs, Being content and knowing that he will care for me. You know, the reason that Paul is able to say that he can do all things through Christ is because he's living in the middle of God's will for his life. I don't want you to miss this. The secret to circumstantial contentment. The secret to having a contentment no matter what stage of life you're in is being in the middle of God's will. In Philippians 3 verse 12, Paul said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The apostle Paul had a determination. The apostle Paul strived to have Jesus, to know Jesus, to live for Jesus And Paul's secret is that he's always striving and moving forward and doing what God has called him to do. So Paul, at the end of the day, is able to have this 
peace and to say that I have done that everything that God has called me to be faithful to do, therefore I can be content no matter what life gives me. The late basketball coach and committed Christian, John Wooden, once said that peace of mind or contentment is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best that you are capable of being. You did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. No matter his circumstances, Paul can do. Paul can prevail. Paul can succeed. Paul can have victory over all things. Understand that the scope of all things involves the hardships and the prosperity of verse 12. At any and every point in our life, we are somewhere between being abased and abounding. And as we faithfully follow and serve the Lord, we can be content knowing he has us right where he wants us. The scope of our contentment is in all things. But I don't want you to miss or forget that the source of our contentment is Christ, who gives us strength. Contentment is first and foremost rooted in our relationship with Christ. There is no peace without the Prince of Peace. Christ was Paul's strength because Christ was all that Paul had. Christ was all that Paul needed. Paul, Christ was all that Paul desired. You see, when we truly understand the meaning of Philippians 4.13, it honestly makes it so much more vibrant and so much more exciting. We, we, we really cheapen it by making it this magic verse that enables us to do whatever we want to do because really what Philippians 4.13 is about, it's when we understand it in context, it's no longer about our selfish desires, but rather Philippians 4.13 begins to empower us to live on mission for Christ despite our circumstances. So as we look at this verse now in context, I believe we get a clear picture of what Paul is saying. And I'm going to rephrase. This is what I believe Paul is saying in 4.13. We see, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I believe what Paul is saying is, I can be content in any circumstance, trusting God's guidance and sovereignty as I serve him. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. Why is contentment such a big deal? I think the biggest thing about contentment is that our ultimate satisfaction should be found in Christ. Our ultimate desire, our ultimate thing that we long for is not only found, but it is fulfilled in the person and the work of Christ. So for the person who, for the Christian who is living a life that is discontented, 
we have lost that eternal view. We have got our priorities out of whack. One commentary I was studying from this week gave a challenging thought from this verse. I just want to share with you all this morning. It said, has a lack of contentment made you less flexible to live on mission? Has a lack of contentment made you less flexible to live on mission? Contentment makes you adaptable. How can people leave everything behind for the foreign mission field? Here's how. They're preoccupied with Jesus, not their circumstances. Christian contentment makes us, flex, makes us flexible. It makes us able to go anywhere. If you're from the north end, God has called you to join a church plant in the south, you're going to face cultural challenges. If he's called you to go overseas, living there will require you to learn another language, to adapt to new customs, and to reorient your whole way of life. Can you do this? You can't if you're not content in Christ alone. Those who are content in Christ are able to say with Paul as he wrote in 1 Timothy, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. As I look at this verse and I look at the life of the Apostle Paul and his joy in the middle of suffering and his contentment no matter his circumstances, I'm reminded of the life and the testimony of Horatio Spafford. Spafford was a wealthy businessman in Chicago who was a faithful Christian and good friends with D.L. Moody. In 1873, Spafford decided his family would take a vacation to England knowing that his friend D.L. Moody would be there preaching in the fall. To finish up some business at home, Spafford sent his wife and his four kids on a boat ahead of him. And as they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship they were riding on was T-boned by another ship. All of Spafford's children died. But his wife Anna miraculously was rescued. Upon arriving in South Wales, Anna sent a telegram back to Spafford with two words, survived alone. Receiving Anna's message, Spafford raced to be reunited with his wife and he boarded a ship to get over to Wales to her and as they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the captain called to him and said, Mr. Spafford, this is about the place where the ship would have sank and your children would have passed away. It's said that afterwards, Spafford went to his cabin on the ship and penned the words which many of us are familiar with. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. 
for the Christian whose hope is in Christ. No matter your lot, no matter your circumstances in life, you too can say, it is well with my soul. Listen, you don't have to live life dissatisfied. You don't have to live life chasing more. Listen, Christ is enough. His life was enough to provide a perfect and sinless sacrifice. His death was enough to satisfy the wrath of God. His blood was enough to pay the penalty for our sins. The resurrection was enough to conquer hell, death, and the grave. And his promise of salvation and embrace is enough to bring contentment to the weary soul. Every head bow and eyes close. The worship team come forward. If there's anybody here this morning and you can't say it is well with my soul, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, you don't know that heaven is your home, I want to invite you to make today the day. Call upon the name of the Lord. Salvation is a free gift, but you have to accept it. And if that's you this morning, if you have any questions, if you want somebody to show you what the Bible says about making Christ your Savior after the service or during our singing, you can come forward. And if you're a lady, there'll be a lady that can meet with you and show you what the Bible has to say about salvation. If you're a man, there will be a man. Head bowed and eyes closed. Lord, again, we thank you for this day, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged and convicted by your word that we would leave here this morning recognizing that our satisfaction should come in you alone. Lord, yes, life is hard. Life is tough, Lord, but with you, it's okay. Lord, we have a greater inheritance that is promised to us. Help us to live lives content and joyful. We love you and thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. And this time, we're going to sing Tis So Sweet. Tis So Sweet. So you can either